real cool to say, man, we want to love like Jesus? I mean, it sounds fun, sounds cool. I think it's actually a phrase that, to be honest with you, every church in America would use. But it sounds real fun until you actually have to do it. Like, like I've learned in life that it's real easy to say some things. It's real hard sometimes to live out those things. And, and love's one of those words that we get thrown around a lot in our society. It's almost a word, to be honest with you, that has very little meaning anymore. Because we love everything. We love everybody. We throw it out just very haphazard. Love is that word that's easy to say. It's hard to do. You can tell me that you love me all day long, because I've had a lot of people in life tell me they love me. But it's a whole other story to live it out. You can tell me you love me, but at the end of the day, whether you love me or not is not going to be proven in what you say. It's going to be proven in what you do. Because love is a verb. I mean, it, it's a verb. It's an action. It's not something you just say. It, it's something that you do. And if we're going to be the Christ followers that we're supposed to be, then we've got to follow in the ways of Christ. And it's impossible to study the life of Jesus and not see that in every shape and form, in every iota of everything that he was, Jesus was love. He lived a life that proved he was love. And so we're just taking the month of April and we're looking at the way Jesus loved. Not one of our deepest series, not one of our most exciting series. If we were doing a series on how to raise your kids or how to handle your finances or how to fix your marriage or how to discover your purpose, man, it'd be packed out every week. This is just kind of one of those topics that seem real, real vague. It's not super, super practical, but it's one of these topics that is much needed because everything else, whether it's raising your kids or your purpose or your marriage or your career or your finances, all of it stems from how we love. And the more we strive to be like Christ, the more the other areas of our life fall into pieces, or fall into place, excuse me. I just learned that when Jesus and the ways of Jesus are my focus, everything else seems to have a way of working itself out. When I lose sight of the ways of Jesus, and I try to do it on my own, that's when I really screw things up. So what we're doing is we're looking at some things, and last week we looked at the fact that Jesus loved the unlovable. And we said that's not always easy to do. It's not easy to, to love people that we don't like. It's not easy to love people that, that we don't agree with or people that are from different backgrounds than us or people that make us uncomfortable or people that have wronged us. But the fact of the matter is Jesus came along and he loved the unlovable. We even talked about last week that it's possible not to like someone, not want to be around someone, not want to do life with someone, but yet still love them the way Christ loved them. See, sometimes we think that loving people is accepting their behavior and that's not the truth. It's easy to say we love the unlovable until you get around those that are unlovable. And today I want to talk about a subject that literally will resonate with everyone here. And to be honest with you, it's a subject I've taught on many times here, but I want to simplify the subject today. And I want to talk about how do we forgive those who have wronged us? Because again, one thing that you can't deny when you study out the life of Jesus is he was a person 
a God who came along and he was able to forgive people, even those that had betrayed him and done him wrong in the biggest of ways. Forgiving those who hurt you. (laughs) Part of life, sadly, is getting hurt by other people. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I give you a little newsflash on those that hurt you? (laughs) Many times those that hurt you are those that you've loved the most. Those that you've helped the most. Those that you've reached out to the most. Those that you've been there the most for normally are the ones that hurt you the most when the time comes for them to hurt you. You've got to be real close to someone to stab them in the back. And because there's that closeness, because there's that love, because there's that trust, it's the hurt that blindsides us the most. I can't tell you how many times people say, I just never expected it from this person. I get it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't get close with people. That doesn't mean we ought to not have close relationships. We were created to do life with other people. But the reality is people will hurt you in life. There's nothing you can do to avoid hurt. There's nothing you can do to avoid betrayal. There's nothing you can do to avoid being stabbed in the back. The only thing you have control over is after it happens, how are you going to respond? Because you can't go over betrayal. You can't go under and you can't go around it. All you can do is go straight through it. It's going to happen. I've been in full-time ministry now for about 20 years. And I've had people that I've literally drug out of crack houses. That were literally on the verge of death. And I did everything in my power to get them and get them clean and get them help. Betray me. I have people that I've been to hell and back with. Who I thought would never turn on me. Turn on me. (laughs) I've worked for months to help couples restore their marriage. Only on down the road for them to stab me in the back. People that I would have taken a bullet for stabbed me in the back. Here's the reality of that. I have people on the other end of that that can say the same thing about me. I've had people that that feel like they've helped me and feel like I've hurt them. People who trusted me and feel like I've hurt them. Who People who've come along and believed in me and did this, and I've come along and in their mind I've hurt them. Betrayal is a two-way street. The reality is we don't like to think about it. We're all going to be betrayed. We're all going to get hurt. And we've all hurt somebody with our actions. Even if we didn't intend to hurt people with our actions. There's no other way to say it though. That when people hurt you. It hurts. How many of you today say. I, I've been hurt by another human being. It, look at that. It's 100%. The only thing we'll ever agree on here. When you get hurt by people, it hurts. Matter matter of fact, I I dare say it's the deepest and strongest type hurt there is. Betrayal, someone hurting us, someone doing something against us, against someone that we love. It's just one of those things that we hold on to, especially if your name's Gary Lamb. I can tell you where you were 10 years ago, what you were wearing and what you were doing when you screwed me over. And we hang on to it. 
and it eats at us. And our first instinct when someone does us wrong, let me rephrase that, because I don't want to assume that your first instinct is this. My first instinct is to be angry. When someone does something wrong to me, I want revenge. I want to hold a grudge. Even though logically that makes no sense because my grudge doesn't affect them, it only affects me. But I obsess over it. And to be honest with you, that's probably the natural emotion. That's our flesh is to be consumed with it. But again, the problem with hanging on to bitterness, the problem with hanging on to unforgiveness, the problem with hanging on to someone who's done us wrong is it only affects us. They don't get up every day thinking about you. They don't get up every day thinking about how they messed you over. They don't get up and think about how they ripped you off. They don't think about how they betrayed you. They're not thinking about you, but you're allowing them to affect you and continue to do it to you every day because you hold on to it. Unforgiveness is literally, probably no other area in our life is like this. It's like living in prison. We obsess over it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Wishing that something bad would happen to them. <laughs> Wishing that something would go wrong with them. Waiting to hear bad news. Because <laughs> they did me wrong. I want bad things to happen to them. Then getting all upset when it, when it appears to us that their life's going great. I always share the story. I've got a buddy of mine that walked, and this is years ago, 20 years ago, he walked into his house and his wife was having an affair. And for the longest time, he couldn't let it go. What he didn't know was I was counseling him and I was counseling her. I was both their pastor. And for years, this lady dealt with the consequences of her actions. She was miserable. She was suicidal. She was strung out. She, it affected her so bad, but he never saw that aspect of it. Because she was never going to let him see that part of it. So he would come in consumed and be like, and her life is great. And her life... Couldn't tell him what I knew about her. But in his mind, he obsessed because her life, he would stay angry and bitter because he thought her life was great. There was no consequences for her actions. And he was in prison to bitterness and unforgiveness. Here's the deal. You can't be a Christ follower and follow in the ways of Christ if you don't understand forgiveness. It's that powerful. It's that freeing. If I had to list probably what I thought were the top three principles in being a Christ follower that would change your life the most, learning to deal and handle with forgiveness would be right at the top. Because I've seen it eat people up. It's ate me up. It has almost destroyed me. And I'm still not the king of letting it go, but I can tell you, man, if I've grown in any area, I've grown in that area. Because I, I literally got to the point where it felt like so many people, in my mind, I'm not saying this is accurate, I'm just saying in my mind, so many people had betrayed me or hurt me that I think it was going to send me to an early grave, obsessing over it. Jesus lived a life of forgiveness. Yet we struggle so much with it. And I've thought a lot about this. And I think the biggest issue is simply this. 
we don't understand what forgiveness is. We have a lot of issues with forgiveness because we think forgiveness is something that it's not. We think if we forgive someone who's wronged us, we're letting them off the hook for what they did. Here's what you don't realize. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you don't hear anything else I say, don't miss this. Forgiveness is not for the person who wronged you. It's for you. You forgive where you can move on. But we have an inaccurate view of what forgiveness is. We think that if we forgive someone, we're excusing what they did. No, you're not. In some cases, there is no excuse for what they did. You think you're justifying what they did. Well, if I forgive them, that's saying it was justified. It was okay that they did this to me, and, and I'm not there yet. That's not, that's not what forgiveness is. You're pardoning what they did. You're pardoning, yeah, it's over. It's good. It's not forgiveness. We think that if we forgive someone, we're restoring the relationship with that person. If you do me wrong... If you hurt me, if you betrayed me, chances are really, really good you and I are never going to be the same again. I'm not looking to restore what we had. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not putting myself in a situation again for you to do that. So, so forgiveness has nothing to do with restoring the relationship with that person. Let me make this very clear to you today. Forgiving someone is not denying what they did. They did it, and it hurt. Here's the deal. Even if they don't see it that way, the people that I've hurt, there are situations that I don't see it from their point of view, but it doesn't matter how I see it. Their emotions are real, their feelings are valid, and that's how they feel about the situation. I have no control over how they perceive something, and how you perceive something is how you will receive something. So it's not denying what they did. It's not blindness to what they did. It's not forgetting what they did. It's not minimizing what they did. It's not pretending that they didn't hurt us in the process. And those reasons are all the reasons so many of us can't forgive because we have a false view of what forgiveness is. I know it's quiet, but somebody say amen today. I'm going to help you today. If there ain't ever a Sunday in here that I help you today, you're going to get help. It ain't going to be the funniest sermon. It ain't going to be the most animated sermon. But I'm telling you, I have not seen any single issue, especially in a crowd like this. Because here's what they say about a church. They say, and they've done exhaustive studies on the people who attend church. And what they say for the large majority of those who attend church, in many ways, their personality and characteristics are that of the person on the stage. So here's the problem. We have a church full of risk takers. I don't mind taking a risk. We have a church full of people who love to start things. And we have a church full of people who are loyalty people. And we got a church full of people who can hold some grudges. Because I can hold a grudge. But I'm telling you, it will kill you. And you've got to learn to release that. Let me give you a definition of forgiveness. Take your phones out, snap a picture of this. It's that important. Forgiveness 
is to release someone of the debt they owe you as a result of the pain they have caused you. Leave that up. Forgiveness is to release someone of the debt. You owe me a debt because you wronged me. But I'm going to release you of that. And what I'm saying by that is instead of walking around waiting for that debt to be paid, in whatever way you feel necessary for it to be paid, because we all got our own way. My buddy, whose wife cheated on him, in his mind, the only way the debt could be paid is if he saw his ex-wife in horrible relationships, miserable and falling apart. And until he saw that with his own eyes, he was never going to have peace. And here's the reality. If he saw that, he wouldn't have had peace. So when you forgive someone, you're saying, I'm not walking around anymore waiting for this debt to be paid the way I think it ought to be paid. I'm releasing you of this debt that I feel you owe me. Not for you. (laughs) Don't miss this. Don't miss this but for me so I can get back living. I can't tell you how many people can't live. I know a family and their son was killed. I I can't, let let me make this clear to you. I can't imagine the pain of that. When I met this couple about two years ago, they were telling me about it. From the way they were telling me about it, I literally thought this had happened in the last six to seven months. I came to find out it happened 20 years ago. For 20 years, they couldn't let go of it. And I can't, I am not minimizing anything. But here's what I'm telling you. The person who did this to their son wasn't thinking about their pain, wasn't thinking about their hurt. But they lived every day of their life for what they felt like had to happen to this person for them to be able to move on. So here's what the person did. He didn't kill just the son. He killed the family because the family quit living for 20 years not letting it go. They weren't letting it go for that person. Screw that person. I don't know if that's theologically correct. But they should have let it go for themselves. You know what's sad about the situation? Is they lost their son in a horrible way but they also lost their two daughters and their other son because they quit being parents to them. Not being able to forgive for this. You release for yourself. You forgive for yourself. It gives you the release. They were waiting. They kept saying, and if he just goes to court, and if this just happens, and this just happens, and this just happens, then we'll let it go. Can I tell you something? He went to court, he was convicted, and he got served time, and it changed nothing in their life. They still couldn't let it go. They didn't forgive for that person. They destroyed their life by hanging on to unforgiveness. Here's the reality of the situation. I've been on a big kick with this lately. (coughs) Someone told me I was being negative by saying this. I'm sorry. Here's the reality. We, not you, I don't want to do the preacher thing and say you, we are all sinners. We all screw up. We're less than perfect. We all mess up, and we all serve a God who delights in forgiving sinners. There's not a person here who hasn't wronged somebody. 
But you can't let go of the person who wronged you because in your mind, in the area they wronged you, it's different than the area you wronged someone else. But not only are we all sinners who receive forgiveness from a Savior, we are all sinners who are called by Jesus to forgive others as well. We're going to hang out in Luke 23 today because I don't think there's any more powerful scripture on forgiveness that blows my mind than this portion of scripture. It's probably the most amazing example in the Bible of forgiveness ever recorded. Here's the context. Jesus is hanging on the cross. The Son of Man, who came and lived a perfect life, is hanging on the cross for us. Let's keep the context clear. He's innocent. He's never sinned. He's never done. He's, he's perfection in human form. And he's hanging between two criminals who are mocking him. The Bible says in Luke 23, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified them there, crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Now, I don't think people understand what's going on here a lot of times. We've seen it in movies so many times. We watch a scene in a movie and we see Jesus hanging up high with the two criminals, and he's got spikes through his hands and spikes through his feet, and he's kind of looks like he's been beat up a rough house a little bit, and he's just chilling, waiting to die. But what you need to understand is the context was this they ran the spikes through his hand, they ran the spikes through his feet. We always see the cross really up high. Those are the context of that day. The cross was about this far off the ground. And what would happen is, is their lungs would start to collapse. And they would have to push themselves up. If you've ever struggled for air? Push themselves up. And they would get them just where they could push up with the nails through, just right to where their feet would almost touch the ground and give them hope that they could touch the ground and push themselves up. But they couldn't. The cross in every aspect was designed to be the ultimate method of torture. It was designed to be the ultimate form of humiliation. It was actually very expensive to do a crucifixion. And therefore it was reserved for the most violent and vile of criminals. It was created to make a statement to torture them to deter other people from doing stuff. In fact, the word excruciating, you know, the excruciating pain comes from the crucifixion because that was where that word came from. They would drive sticks to their hands and feet. Like I said, they would hang on the cross. They'd have to push up. And here's the deal. We look at them and think that people walked up and saw them. No, they were eye level. So people would walk up eye level to them and cuss them and spit at them and mock them, slap them across the face. It was the most humiliating thing so here's Jesus, perfection personified. People are walking up. And what's so funny is, don't miss this. A week ago, he was riding in a town on a donkey, and they were praising him, singing out Hosanna. Woo, one week they'll praise you. Mm, the next week they'll spit on you. That'll preach right there. One week they'll think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the next week, you're a dog who never did anything for them. <laughs> Preaching on that soon. 
I've lived that too. Somebody say amen. Good Lord. They're hanging there. And one of the criminals criminals looks over and says, You've saved others. Save us. Why don't you save us? King of the Jews are spitting on him. And at this moment, Jesus has said nothing. He's been beaten. The Bible says he was unrecognized by a theologian this week who wrote in a commentary. He said he probably looks more like a beaten animal than he did a human. They're mocking him. They're spitting on him. He's suffering for breath. And he lifts up his head and begins to utter some words. I, I think in this situation, the first words out of your mouth would be very important and show your heartbeat. It would show where you stood because this would be the most important thing for you to say because you don't know what else to say. <laughs> and he looks up, and as they're doing their worst, here's what he utters. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And as he's saying forgive them, they're sitting out there dividing up his clothes, figuring out who gets to go home with what. Jesus was asking forgiveness for those who were sinning against him. In the moment, I got to be honest with you, forgiveness would have been the last thing on my mind. They're doing something to me that is totally, in my mind, unforgivable, and yet our Savior calls out and says, Father, forgive them. But Gary, you don't know what they did to me, and you're telling me to forgive them. I don't know what they did to you, but I can tell you they didn't do what they did to him. And he is our example. Gary's not your example. Your friend is not your example. Whoever's telling you whatever to do is not your... Our example is Jesus. Well, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not, baby. But we're to strive to be Christ-like. And you can't be Christ-like if you don't understand forgiveness. (laughs) If you live long enough, you're going to be hurt by somebody. The reality is, some of you right now are holding on to some hurt. I started preaching this sermon, and that person popped up in your mind. Your heart's beating a little bit faster. That anger swung. I get it, son. I've preached messages on forgiveness and been boiling up here thinking about the person that did me wrong. Someone abused you. Someone took advantage of you. Someone hurts someone that you love, maybe a family member, a child, a brother, a sister. (laughs) Someone who was a Christian didn't act very Christ-like. Some church you were part of did something that devastated you. Whether they even knew it or not, you had to deal with someone and you trusted them and it didn't come through and it fell through and you're hurt by that. Someone gossiped about you. Someone said something about you that's not true. You got some boss and he didn't appreciate the sacrifices that you've made. You've worked around the clock, neglecting your family, missing out on vacations to do whatever you can to do a great job, and they just didn't appreciate you. You feel like their anger or their frustration or their hurt towards you is unjustified and unfair. There's some of you here today, I dealt with someone this week, and the person who wronged you is not even alive anymore. Guess what? They surely ain't thinking about you. But they're still hurting you every single day. Gary, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I don't. I'm not minimizing it. Remember I told you all things forgiveness is not? 
I'm sure it's horrible what they did to you. But you've got to let go for yourself. <laughs> for some of you, it's a mom or dad. They weren't there for you. They, someone, maybe you had a family member. I, I deal with this all the time, especially with, with ladies. And someone came along and touched you inappropriately as a child and it, it skewed everything up in your life. I, it makes me sick to my stomach. I can't, I, I'm not minimizing the hurt today. But I'm telling you, if you want to change your life, you've got to learn to start the process of forgiveness. Maybe some of you, it's not even a really, really big thing. It's just an ongoing person that every time around you, they're like nails on a chalkboard. It's always got some little snide comment to make. They just say things, and whatever you do is just not good enough. They just make you think that you're crazy. You just get around them, and they just have that way of tearing you down, making you feel like you're less. And you get so frustrated with your mother-in-law. I'm just kidding, not your mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I got a cool mother-in-law. No matter what you do, it's not good enough. They don't see the growth in you. And bitterness has started to swell up in you. Some of you, something happened in your life, and what's happened is your anger is not towards the person, you're angry towards God. Been there too. Actually, was there about two summers ago. I remember me and Christine talking, and I said, I am so, for the first time ever in my life, I said, I am so pissed off at God. How dare him? Does he, I'm all about me. Does he know what I've done with the sacrifice? Blah. God, it was me. But I had to have somebody to be angry. Here's what I learned about being angry at God. It don't, don't do any good. God, why would you do this? Some of you. This has probably been my battles here lately. Some of you need to forgive yourself. You did something wrong. You know you did something wrong. If you could go back and change it a thousand times, you'd go back and change it a thousand times. But you can't forgive yourself. You get up every day and you live with the guilt, and the guilt leads to anger, and the anger leads to taking it out on all those around you. And really, you just got to realize, man, you screwed up. God's forgiven me. i got to forgive myself. You did something and you're just like, God, how could I be so stupid? You can't undo what you did. But you're carrying this unforgiveness around. And it's towards yourself. I don't care if it's towards yourself or towards another person. You've got to let it go. Now, here's what I used to do in the past. And I, and I believe everything I gave you was very biblical, so don't miss out on that. I'm probably, I, I could go back and teach those principles again. I used to have these three or four or five steps to forgiveness. I, matter of fact, it was one of my sugar stick sermons. I used to call it the F-bomb. Bam, I preached it all over this country. Drop the F-bomb on people. Here's how you do it. Bam, 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 bam. But I got to thinking this week about what's the one thing? I started working out about two weeks ago, like legitimately working out. Because I got tired of griping to you all the time. So I signed up for this class thing. And, man, I go, and it's horrible. It's all women, and I'm the only dude there. And I'm horrible. I'm always dead last. And, you know, 
It's horrible. And I meet with them the first time, and they're like, let me tell you what you got to do. And they start, bam, 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 and I'm like, stop. I said, I'm going to get to them steps one day. I said, but here's my steps for the next 30 days. I ain't worried about what I eat. I ain't worried about if I'm last. I ain't worried about if I look like an idiot. Like, I, it's so bad that the teacher pulled me off to the side front and said, listen, man, we like you coming. They said, but you got to chill a little bit with the F-bombs in the middle of the workout. But that's all that comes out when I'm not tired. You know what I mean? I didn't even know I was doing it. And I said, really? They said, man, they said, listen, I don't know if you realize, but every time you pulled the rower, and they said, it was a one-mile row, so you probably pulled it 160 times. I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. I'm sorry. Give me all this. I said, I don't care about any of those steps. I said, here's my goal for the next 30 days. I'm going to show up five times a week and do the exercise. I said, I don't care if I do it the best. I'm not worried about what I eat right now. I, I, I'll move to them other steps. But right now, I'm just going to show up, and every day, I'm going to post it on social media for accountability. That's the reason I do it. It's humbling to say, hey, I'm a lord, but. And here's the funny thing. So, like, in this thing, you, they call them splat points. And you have to get 12 splat points in the hour. It's for every hour, for every minute that your heart rate's at a certain level. So all the in-shape people can barely get their heart rate there. I average like 45 splat points in six. Like, you're doing so good. I'm not doing so I'm just so fat. Like, we're in the warm-up, and my heart rate's up in the area that it's not supposed to be in. Like, you get to red, they're worried. Like, we're doing the warm-up, and I'm in the red. But my goal is just to show up. I don't need all the other steps right now. I said I ought to say this. I'm going to give you one step today. I'm going to give you one step and one thought. How about that? There's other things we got to do. But we got to get to one step first. And it's a hard one. Look at your neighbor and say, this stinks. That means you look at your neighbor and say, it stinks. If there's a black church, I'll do that. White church, like, this one, it's hard. We're going to forgive those who have hurt us. First thing we're going to do is we're going to pray for those who hurt you. Xander, I don't want this pulled down until it's time. We're going to pray for those that hurt us. You know, Jesus actually teaches us this principle. He says this, Luke 6, 28, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those that curse you and pray for those that mistreat you. All right, Gary, I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him to get hemorrhoids. <laughs> hemorrhoids in their ear. Well, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know where that came from. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to pray for him. That's gross. I'm sorry. I'll pray for him. I'm going to pray horrible things about him. Can I tell you something? And How many of you have been with me more than two years? Okay, you've heard me say this before, and God convicted me of it this week. I used to get up and say, God, don't tell you how to pray for them. You just pray for them. So I pray God kills them. Mm -mm. It's not what it means. It means we're to pray for them. We like to pray for them. I'll pray for them. I'm going to judge them and pray they burn in hell. Hmm. We're to pray for them. This, this was, this was jaw dropping for this day and time. He came back in Matthew 5, 
and said it again. And said, pray for those that hurt you. <laughs> Look what he said in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We've heard this so much that a lot of you tuned it out. But I want you to understand something. In this day and time, this was revolutionary. This was not the way they were raised. He would have been talking to one of two people here. The Roman audience that he would have been talking to actually worshipped a god of revenge. Revenge was one of their gods. So when he comes along and says, hey, pray for those who do you wrong, they're like, that's so contrary to what they were taught. Because they worshipped a God and his whole identity was found up in worship. Now the Jewish audience, they had always been taught this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What they had been taught was when someone wrongs you, it's okay to wrong them back. When they take something from you, it's okay to take something back from them. When they break a bone of yours, break a bone of theirs. They flip you off in the car, you flip them off in the car. So they had been taught totally contrary to this. So don't miss this. We, we hear stuff so much that we don't realize how revolutionary Jesus was when he taught it. This would have left them speechless because they were lived in a culture that worshipped revenge. They lived in a culture that said, hey, if they do you wrong, you do them wrong. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, those that do you wrong, pray for them. Pray blessings upon them. I believe when he would have said this, you would have been able to hear a pin drop. That's <laughs> hard. That's why I don't have an Action Church sticker on the back of my car. That's why I refuse to allow Christine to have an Action Church sticker on the back of her car. That's why if I ever see my father-in-law put one on when he ain't looking, I'm taking it off. Because our instinct is, you pull me out in front of me, I'm going to cut you off. You flip me off. I, I, here lately, man, I... I really have experienced road rage a lot lately. Like I found myself getting mad. I was ready to cuss someone out at the red light, and I'm glad I didn't have an Action Church sticker on the back of my car. Huh. But here's the problem. We've heard this so much that we're like, yeah, 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 love your enemies. Ah. Huh. It's kind of easy to hear it. Love your enemies, love your enemies. I'll pray for your enemies. That sounds great, Gary. Until you get an enemy. Sounds good until you have an enemy. <laughs> it, it sounds good to love your enemy until someone comes along and does something wrong to your wife. Or someone comes along and is inappropriate with your kid. Or someone does a business dealing with you that costs your family everything. Someone misled you, someone you trusted comes along, they take advantage of that. <laughs> Sounds real good to say love your enemies until we have an enemy. Then all of a sudden I don't want to love my enemies. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see today. Nothing ground shaking, but so hard to live out. If you've been devastated by someone, let down by someone, someone lied about you, gossiped about you, the first step is to start praying for them. Don't pray something bad would happen to them. Just pray for them. 
I, I thought this week a lot, and I don't have the right answers. Like I said, this is just kind of a discombobulated message today. It's just my ramblings. I thought about why Jesus would teach this principle, and it could be a lot of reasons. But perhaps, just perhaps, I don't want to say this is, I just want to say perhaps, one of the reasons Jesus taught this is because in order to pray for someone, it takes the right attitude. Your mind's got to be in the right place for you to pray for someone who did you wrong. And a right attitude always precedes a right action. When I'm overwhelmed with bitterness in my heart, when I'm consumed with hurting someone, there's no way I can give them the right action. I handle it wrong. But if I'm praying for someone, what happens is, slowly, my attitude starts to change towards that person. Does it happen immediately? But eventually, you can't pray for someone and your attitude not to start to change towards them. And when your right attitude kicks in, the right actions kick in. If you're waiting until you feel ready to forgive somebody, you'll never forgive them. Because they wronged you. And they hurt you. And they're still talking crap about you. You'll never get to the point that you feel like forgiving them. <laughs> if you're just waiting until you're in the right mood to forgive them, you're never going to forgive them. But if you start praying for them, I don't know what it is, because prayer is one of those supernatural things. It begins to tear down that hurt. You start by doing something that is right, even if it's in your mind, because it starts to renew your mind, and leads to the right attitude. I have a list of people I pray for every day. And I would say 85% of that list is people that I can't stand. That in my mind, they have wronged me. They've hurt my family. And I pray for them every single day. And it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. I'm not telling you I started praying deep prayers for them. It kind of started like this. God, do something in that person's life. That was it. God, just, just do something in that person's life. God, just do something in that person's life. You know what would happen, Bill? I'd hear something cool happen to that person. And where my first instinct used to get mad because I was bitter and angry, I'd be like, well, wait a minute. God's answering my prayers. It's kind of cool. And, and then my prayer would go up a little bit to the next level. God, do something extraordinary in their life. Then over time, and, and I can almost show you by chart where I'm at with the different people. God, bless their marriage. God, they ripped me off for thousands of dollars, and I pray you bless their finances. It's just amazing what would happen as you begin to pray for them. God, I just pray blessings on these people. Can I tell you something? Some of those people I pray for, it takes a couple of weeks to get to that second stage. Some of them people, I've been praying about a year now, and I'm still, God, just do something in their life. But as I pray, 
I begin to soften. I don't want to be friends with them again. I'm not forgetting what they did. I'm not excusing what they did. I'm not pardoning what they did. But I'm beginning to pray for them. And as I pray for them, I want to see great things happen to them. Because I love when God begins to answer my prayers. (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't miss this. As you pray for them, your prayers may not change them. But they'll change you. It's so powerful. It sounds so simple. But I am convinced if you only do one thing in the step for praying for those who hurt you, I mean, in taking the steps to those that hurt you, it's a step just to begin to pray for them. You just begin to pray for them. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He didn't look over and say, I forgive them. He just began to pray for forgiveness for them. Think about that person. I can't do it, Gary. Okay. You're only affecting yourself. I can't force you to do it. But here's what you know. You're freaking miserable right now. They consume your thoughts. They consume your mind. They consume your actions. And when are you going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired? When are you going to get sick and tired of letting what happened to you 10 years ago still affect you today? I can't let it go. I get it. You can't, but God can help you begin to move on from it. And you pray for those who hurt you. Let me give you a challenge today. Do it for 30 days. I'm not asking you to pray in depth for them. You call them out by name, though. You write their name down. God, James Thomason wronged me. Do something in his life. That's simple. Do it for 30 straight days. I'm not asking you to elaborate on it and watch and see if it don't begin to change your life. It's hard to hate someone or to be bitter towards someone or to allow them to consume you when you're praying for them. Prayer is powerful. Pray for those who hurt you. And then we need to remember this principle. We need to forgive as we've been forgiven. Isn't it funny we love to be forgiven when we wrong someone? But we don't want to forgive someone when they wrong us. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know about you. God has forgiven me of a lot of stuff. I thought this week a lot about my role as a pastor the last 20 years. I have heard a lot of people. Ain't that weird being a pastor? I've heard a lot of people. I've been selfish and I've hurt people. I've been egotistical and I've hurt people. I've had people that did me wrong and because they did me wrong, I was going to destroy them and I hurt them. I, I, I say it, we say it joking all the time here, but, but for the longest time, people still joke about me being the godfather because I can, I, I'm so grudge-holding in how I hurt people. That's not something to be proud of. It's actually embarrassing. I began to make a list this week of people that I've hurt. My hand got sore. I'm not trying to be funny, like, 
it, it was extensive. And yet, I know God forgives me. And I hope that those people, and many of the people on that list have come and said, man, I forgive you. I know they've forgiven me. And God's restored some of those relationships. Some of them I don't ever want them restored. But as I looked at that list, I was thinking to myself, man, I would love to have forgiveness from all these people. But yet I won't give forgiveness to other people. We've got to forgive as God's forgiven us. I've told a lot of lies, hurt a lot of people, lied to myself, disobeyed, I've sinned against God. I can't speak for you who have it all together. But I have effed up some things in my life. And yet I know that I know that I know God forgives me. And God's not done with me. And God uses me. And I'm so grateful for that forgiveness. Why wouldn't I be willing to offer that forgiveness to someone else? If he's forgiven me a lot, I should be willing to, to forgive other people. I wasn't even planning on talking about this real quick. But some of you are in a marriage right now and you feel very betrayed in your marriage. You feel very hurt in your marriage. You might even have grounds to end your marriage. You might have biblical grounds. He cheated on me, she cheated on me, yada, yada, yada. And you might have biblical grounds for divorce. But I had this thought this week. But you know what else you have grounds for? You have grounds for forgiveness. You might have grounds to walk away from that relationship, that friendship, that business dealing. But you might also have grounds for forgiveness. How would your life be different if you learned to forgive? God can come along and empower you and restore whatever and give you that peace that passes all understanding. Our fleshly nature is to hold on to it. I get it. But we don't operate in the natural. We operate in the supernatural when the Holy Spirit of God indwells us and takes over. We have the ability to begin to forgive. But we forgive when we remember we've been forgiven. If you forgive like you've been forgiven, who knows what would happen in your life? We forgive as we've been forgiven. At some point, you have a choice to make. At some point, you have a choice to make. You're either going to forgive or you're not going to forgive. You can hang on to it. You can not let it go because you're prideful. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be bitter. Okay, let's go down that road just for fun real quick. I'm going to be bitter. Every time I see that person, I'm going to get angry. Anytime something reminds me of that person, I'm going to get angry. Anytime someone mentions that person, I'm going to get angry. Hmm. Anytime I think about, I don't know about you, here's what I, anytime I think about it, my ear is going to get ready. That's what happens when I get angry. When I run into them in the store, I'm just going to let it anger me. Simple trip to the grocery store. Now my whole day's ruined because I ran into them. When someone says, you hear how so-and-so has been blessed, I'm going to get angry and let it ruin my whole day that they've been blessed. Even though they're being blessed doesn't affect me at all. Hang on to your bitterness. How's it working for you? I'm going to get bitter, and, and because I'm bitter, it's not just going to affect me. It's going to now affect my spouse because I'm angry, and I'm going to take it out of my spouse. I'm going to take it out of my kids. I'm going to take it out of my friends. No one's going to want to be around me anymore because, man, I'm that a-hole that's always bitter. 
I heard you talk to so-and-so. You know what they did to me. Okay. Keep on with it. It's working out great for you. I, I'm convinced someone may come in there and say, man, you got a lot of gray in that beard. I didn't even think about it when I said it. I said, yeah, bitterness. I caught myself surprised when I said that about it. I was like, bitterness. Just obsessing over people who've wronged me in my life. Three o'clock in the morning when you wake up, think about them. Because you're bitter. Go without sleep. Because they're going to keep hurting you. Now remember, they're sleeping good. They ain't thinking about you. They don't care about you. But you let them obsess over it. They don't even know I'm mad, but you be mad. Make them feel awkward when you see them. Get that two seconds of relief. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you because... Whoop, whoop. Anytime someone even brings them up, I want to claw the person's eyes out. Just live like that. It's awesome. It's incredible. <laughs> Anne Lamont said this. She said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You hang on to that bitterness. Because your bitterness is not affecting them. They need to know I'm mad. Why? Chances are they probably do. That's why they avoid you when they see you in public. But, but why? God, it just destroys you. What's your game plan today? My game plan is I hope they die. Why? So they can be dead and you're still angry at them? They didn't die good enough. God took them quick. And I want them to suffer. What do you do when you've been hurt? You can hang on to it. How's that working? Be honest. How's that working out for you? For me, it didn't work out good. I'm talking about to the point that ulcers in my stomach, upset stomachs, not being able to eat, not being able to sleep, affected my marriage, affected my kids, affected my relationships with people that didn't have a dog in the fight. Be honest for once. God, quit lying to yourself. How's it affecting you? Or just start praying for them. I'm not asking you to reach out to them. I'm not asking you to be there. Just pray for them. Get to the point in your life that you're like that frozen CD, baby. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it go, let it go. That will happen when you start praying. There's power in prayer. I could give you four or five other steps, but we're not going to get there today. All we're going to do is, like me at the gym, I'm going to show up every day, five days a week, the next 30 days. I might come back and preach on forgiveness again next month and give you step number two. But today, we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray. I don't know the offense today. I don't know what happened to you. Hmm. But I hate it for you. But I hate more that what they did to you, you continue to allow them to do every day by replaying it. Can't go wrong following the ways of Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. 
I'm sure what they did to you is horrible. Ain't none of you hanging on a cross about to die. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now, my, my, my mind, as God's saying, God, Father, forgive them, they're a bunch of dumb A's. The people who hurt you were maybe that. Pray for them. 